Hello, everybody, and happy Juneteenth. Today, we are going to have a conversation about one of the most significant aspects of the poverty cycle, education. As we said last episode, education is arguably the most important pathway for social mobility. It allows people to achieve economic prosperity and the American dream. But when we take a closer look at the education system, we see disparities between whites and other minority groups. How is the racial inequality that we've seen and learned about from the past still present in such an important system like education? What can we do to solve this and make sure that these disparities aren't continuously neglected and ignored? My name is Jaya Bardwaj, Matt Ferrer, and Rohan Gupta. And we want you to continue the conversation. So our topic today is about racial disparities uh, in the education system. So first things first, um, in school, we learned that segregation has ended under Brown versus Board, but are we still seeing the segregation today? Yeah, we definitely are in all aspects of education, whether it's public schools, charter schools, or even private schools. So let's start off with public schools. So how are public schools still segregated today? I guess it's harder to see because when you think about segregation, it's not like you know, full, like, 100% white, 100% black schools, but we got to think about it as, like, minority-majority public schools and white-majority public schools, and I think these are really um, created by things such as, like, housing legislation and redlining, which, you know, I guess incentivizes black people and white people to live in certain neighborhoods, and also, like, the concept of white flight, where white people move to the you know, outskirts of town, creating these suburbs, and, you know, also these school districts, which are, you know, pretty much segregated. You see a lot of inner city schools with majority minority uh, students, and you see schools on the outskirts of the towns and the suburbs that are white majority schools, and I'm sure you can think of a few in Greensboro that, you know, correlate to this. So, we see minority majority public schools and white majority public schools, so that begs the question, are these schools equal? No, they definitely aren't. For instance, look at school size. Minorities make up a significant portion of most large schools, and we can use Michigan as an example. Risk of large classes in Michigan is not evenly distributed across economic level, urban cities, or race. For example, black ninth graders are over three times as likely as their white peers to be in really large classes. And there's evidence that a large class size is not as effective as a smaller class size as seen in Project STAR. Project STAR was basically a 1980 study that randomly assigned students to different sized classrooms. The results showed that there are higher test scores in English and math for students in the smaller class size. The results also showed that the effects were higher in minority students. So what other differences in, do we see between my, uh, minority-majority schools and white-majority schools. There was a report from 2018 that said underprepared teachers are more likely to be employed at minority-majority schools, and this can have an effect on the curriculum and learning. There's also SAT and ACT struggles. People from the upper class have more access to tutors, prep, classes, and the lower class has more things to worry about in terms of that. Yeah, and also the issue of funding. You know, you have um, these inner-city schools, which are minority-majority, and these these schools in the suburbs, which are white majority, and you can see that there's unequal funding with the uh, minority majority schools receiving $23 billion less than districts that have majority white schools. So even that, that's a 
you know, clear sign of discrimination within the education system. Yeah, also I can, you know, attest to having a firsthand experience. So in middle school, I went to a minority majority school and I got to be part of a program called AIM, which is advanced middle math, which would allow me to take a higher level math class. But, you know, the county wouldn't fund it. There was only three of us, so they didn't think it was worth giving us that, you know, advantage, that opportunity to get a step ahead. So we had a sacrifice. My parents had to drive me an hour early and a teacher who wasn't getting paid for it showed up early and taught us every single day. And it's sacrifices like that that I feel are unfair in the system where schools don't give my school funding but give other school fundings to, you know, offer the same opportunities. And I, I see that as clear discrimination in the system. So we can see that there are obvious uh, differences between uh, minority majority schools and white majority schools. So looking at potential solutions, could school choice be a solution? Well, school choice, I guess on a fundamental level, is already practiced. You know, it's where you live decides where you go to school. But I guess school choice is saying you get a choice of any school in the county to go to. But there's problems with that. There's problems with transportation. You know, the, the county doesn't really fund transportation for these students in minority-majority schools to move to these white-majority schools to get, you know, a better opportunity, a better chance. So really, it's supposed to help low-income students, but it actually serves as a way for high-income students to get away from minority-majority schools. Okay, so I see the problem with school choice, but another trend that has risen across the country are magnet schools. Can working hard and applying to a magnet public school be a potential solution for some people? Not all the time, and we can see this from schools in New York that aren't letting in black students based on their test scores. Um, at Stuyvesan High School in New York, out of the 895 slots in the freshman incoming class, only seven were offered to black students, and the number of black students is constantly shrinking. There were 10 black students admitted into the same school last year and 13 the year before. And then another example of a school in New York is Bronx High School of Science, which made 12 offers to black students this year, down from 25 in the last year. Wow, so looking at these statistics, it's unbelievable that they let in so little black students. But if we do change our admission process, I've heard many arguments, even from parents who are angry about Matt and I's uh, school, the early college at Guilford, selection process changing. They say they only choose kids that can survive the rigor. So the people who don't do well on their tests would not be able to survive and may drop out. Do studies suggest that people who don't have great test scores still do well in these rigorous schools? Well, you know, there's a lot of psychological studies that takes kids from lower socioeconomic status and puts them in, you know, more rich and more opportunistic schools. And it shows that these kids adapt and their test scores improve. So really the issue is we have to give them the opportunity. We need to open the doors because they are equally capable. Yeah, uh, definitely. So let's move on to charter schools. How do we see segregation in charter schools? You know, charter schools, they're kind of like school choice, you know, they're, it sounds good from a, you know, a neutral perspective, but when you look at it, these charter schools are actually more segregated than public schools. It's kind of a loophole to the system that allows whites to escape their minority majority schools and go to this other school where they can, you know, be segregated. Like take, for example, two counties in North Carolina. So in Granville County, whites make up 45% of the population. 
However, their, their student population is 80% white. And even more uh, drastically, Martin County in North Carolina. So their population is 37% white, but their student population at their charter schools are 95% white. So that's clear segregation. And also, the government officials aren't helping out at all. The funding for charter schools has increased from 16 million in 1997 to 580 million in 2018. So it shows that government officials are taking away funding from public schools and moving it towards charter schools, which are shown to be, you know, segregated. Uh, so we see issues of funding in charter schools as well. Um, but looking at private schools, is there a problem with funding there compared to public schools? Yeah, so the problem is the same as in charter schools. They're taking away from public schools and moving funding towards private schools. So think about this. Education, public education, you know, serves all and we're paying taxes for that. So why are, is the money going towards private schools? It's because people like Betsy DeVos are promoting, you know, school choice, charter schools and moving towards privatization of schools. So she, she hasn't done anything to rectify the situation. She's only making it worse. And through her voucher program that actually takes money away from public schools, she's furthering the problem. And yeah, just to go off of that, around 57 million American children attend public schools, yet they still lack sufficient funding, well-equipped facilities, and access to advanced technology. And what a lot of people might not realize is that this can set children back and put them at a disadvantage for years. It's unbelievable to me that this voucher program actually takes money away from public schools and instead goes towards privatized education, a system that does not need nearly as much money as public schools. So while we're on the topic of private school, I actually went to one for 13 years and I think that my own personal experiences highlight why there is a need for structural reform within the private school system in general. Um, when parents want to send their kids to private schools, the students have to go through a really strict process to see if they fit the requirements and standards of the school. It's a really selective process and this can often lead to an extreme lack of diversity. The school I went to was really small, so on top of that, the fact that there weren't many people of color was and continues to be an issue at this school. My graduating class from 2017 had about six or seven black people, whereas the graduating class of 2018 only had one. And I went to a private school in High Point, North Carolina. It just speaks to the fact that this is not an issue just in North Carolina, but in the South in general. And I found a really good quote that I think summarizes this issue perfectly. Private schools are more likely than public schools to be virtually all white, defined as a school where 90% or more of the students are white. So in general, I just think there's a blatant lack of attention to underfunded schools and diversity, which just begs the question of if our elected officials care about the students who are in these schools and seeing them succeed. Education, it's not political. It's a human right, and it should be supported by every member of every party. I mean, personally, I just think education is so important in terms of educating the minds of the next generation. It can, be su it can have such a strong influence on these young minds for how their views and opinions are shaped into their adult lives. And it's a wonderful tool to teach children about racial injustice, and it's so important to do it at a young age, but I just don't see it happening enough. So based on that, 
Are you saying that racism is still present in our education curriculum? It definitely is still present, and I think it exists through a consistent whitewashing throughout our history classes. When I was in elementary and middle school, we maybe talked about slavery once, and besides a brief mention of the Trail of Tears, we were never properly taught anything about Native American history. And then when I got to high school, we talked about the civil rights movement for a single class period in my AP US history class, but it really wasn't until college that I learned so much more about black history and Native American history. And it's only because I had the choice to choose specific classes on just those topics. Besides that, over the last two weeks, I mean, I've learned more about important black social activists, both men and women, from our history through Instagram. And most of the captions of these posts was something along the lines of what I wish I was taught in history class in high school. I think it's just like, it's so disappointing that my school decided to shy away from the reality of the terrible events that have occurred in our country's past because ignoring the truth and voluntarily deciding to not teach certain aspects of our history is extremely dismissive and it also encourages ignorance. Yeah, so from your story, Jaya, whitewashing is definitely there in private schools. But Matt, for someone who went to a public school, do you have similar experiences as someone like Jaya? Yeah, definitely. Especially like when you think about today. It wasn't until about like three years ago when I first heard of Juneteenth. And it wasn't until two weeks ago until I really knew what it was. And just in school, if it wasn't for like a teacher I had in high school making me read Zinn's World History, which made me look at things like the other way, like Nat Turner's Rebellion, you look at it and like, Rohan, what do you learn from it? Um, I learned that government is now more powerful. They can suppress rebellions, but we never really learned why there was a rebellion. Exactly. Like just ignoring the fact that this rebellion was due to an issue with slavery, like that completely gets neglected. And that's the problem with the education system. It only looks at things from one perspective and that's the white perspective. Yeah, so it's obvious from uh, all of this that there are a lot of problems in our education system but how do we fix these racial problems? What are the solutions? I think one solution is definitely to change how property taxes fund schools, meaning fund the schools more equally and have equal access to resources. Yeah, and if school choice is gonna be a realistic option, I think we need to partner it with funding as well. Like giving these kids transportation and you know opportunities to actually attend these schools. Like I had said earlier, I think changing the curriculums within schools, especially when children are young, and making sure that it reflects a fully uncensored version of our history while also including how to be actively anti-racist would be so important, not just in private schools, but in public and charter schools as well. And I think uh, especially going off the funding process, we need to go against what Betsy DeVos and these other leaders are saying, which is moving towards a privatization of schools. We need to lower funding for these charter and private schools and move the funding towards public schools. And also for admission processes and magnet schools, we need to go more towards an affirmative action, which has worked in higher education and given a lot of minorities opportunities. So in conclusion, education is a powerful force and something that opens doors for many people. The keys should be distributed to everyone, not just a specific view. Education is the future, it is growth, and it is a crucial mechanism for social mobility in terms of breaking the poverty cycle. And thanks for listening. But don't forget, today is a very important day. It is Juneteenth, the day that the last slaves in Texas heard they were emancipated in 1865 at the end of the Civil War. 
Use this as an opportunity to empower black voices and to educate yourself of the significance of this holiday and what it means to black people in this country. So tune in next week for our next episode where we will talk about another aspect of the poverty cycle, housing and the effects that that has had over the years.